How much does fear dictate your life? In what ways do you adjust your lifestyle or your children's lives in order to accommodate your fears? Do you minimize your life experiences in order to pacify those voices that are whispering warnings in the deep recesses of your mind? I know it's easy to do and it's hard to acknowledge it, but we're not here to pacify our fear. We are men and women of God. We're parents who are raising fearless warriors. We're friends calling friends up to power-filled living. We're water walkers. Today, let's pull on our steel-toed boots and allow ourselves some conviction that leads us to courage. Courage that drives us from our place of assumed safety and control out into the wild, adventurous life God custom designed for each of us. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome to Walking on Water, where our focus is to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. What's the storm in your life? I'll never say that it's easy, but Jesus changes our perspective. He gives us courage to do life differently, to throw off the victim mentality that threatens to drown us in our pain, and he gives us the tools we need to live a victorious life. I'm your host, Lynette Carpenter. Let's discover more about the power-filled, faith-filled life Jesus invites us to live. Are you ready for this? I hope I am. Welcome back to Walking on Water. I am so excited to be with you today. Just came through an exciting weekend of baseball and an open house for my son, Corey. And let me tell you, as a parent, there is just so little that is more... Uh, that can fill your love tank than watching your kid get loved on by their church family, their family, their community. Um, So I was really super blessed to watch Corey get to shake hands with a lot of people over the weekend as I congratulated him. And so if you are one of those, thank you for coming. That meant so much to us. But here we go. We are going to talk today about the second half of the verse in Proverbs 3.5. The beginning says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And today we are going to talk about leaning not on your own understanding. Um, If you remember, we talked about fear in episode three and how uh, God convicted me of my lack of trust several years ago. I guess it's probably longer than I want to admit as age creeps up on me here. Um, But I have been able to live in this place of peace. Yes, I still have fears and I have this famous fear of heights. Um, but we don't have to talk about that one, do we? (laughs) My husband says that I'm so afraid of heights, I won't even wear high heels. So (laughs) he's probably not entirely wrong. It is just absolutely ridiculous. So anyway, um, we're going to talk though about leaning not on our own understanding. Fear, it just, it, it makes me mad. Okay. It does. It violates me when I consider the amount of time that all of us as humanity have sacrificed to the idol of fear. Because truly, that's what it is. It's an idol. Most times when we hear the word idol, we imagine a tall statue that people are bowing down in front of and they worship it. But idolatry comes in different shapes and sizes and forms. So think about how much we as humans pay homage to fear safety first, right? It's the anthem we hear on a daily basis. 
We focus first on the worst case scenarios and then proceed with caution as we adjust to make room for those fears or for that caution. Um, And I'm not against being careful by all means. No, I, I definitely agree. We need to be careful. But I do see a dangerous pattern in that we are reducing our lives in order to accommodate those what ifs. And it's kind of, it's left me wondering how far will we go and how will this affect our children and their children and their children? I mean, think about it. If there are things that scare us, we find ways to eliminate that from our lives, right? For example, some people are afraid to fly. Therefore, they refuse to go um, on a mission trip or maybe on a vacation that would require flying. Or maybe there's people who are so um, unsettled by the political scene in the world today that they refuse to leave the safety of their home or their community. They want to stay where they feel safe or in control. It could be other things too, like some people would refuse to teach Sunday school or lead a Bible study or maybe go back to school or get married or have kids or just make a decision, you know? So we remain stuck and we're paralyzed by our perspective of what could happen. It reminds me of when my daughter Amy was two years old. So Corey was just a baby and actually just a newborn. He couldn't even roll over at this time. He obviously couldn't crawl. And at that time, we lived in a split-level house. So right off of our kitchen, there was a short flight of stairs that went up, and then right beside it was a short flight of stairs that went down. And one day, I had laid Corey on a blanket in the living room so that I could just free up my hands to you know, do dishes and unfold laundry, and Amy immediately became upset. I assured her that Corey was fine, but couldn't completely understand why she was so bothered about me laying him on the floor, on the blanket. And she then left the living room and walked all the way through the dining room over to the stairway near the kitchen, and she sprawled her little body out in front of the stairs. I was distracted by the work that I had to do, and I was not, like, you know, putting two and two together. Until finally, I realized just how long she'd been laying there. And it was an unusual spot for her, for sure. She, that's not an area where she would normally lay down to take a nap or play or anything. So I called to her and I said, Amy, come in here by the rest of us. But she refused. And eventually she started crying. And so I asked her, what was wrong? And in her limited vocabulary, she was able to finally explain to me, that she was afraid that the baby was going to fall down the stairs. It was really cute and really sweet, but it obviously was really unnecessary for her to lay there all day because there was no way for Corey to get out there. God used that incident to illustrate to me how similar I am to how Amy was that day because my limited understanding of situations convinces me that this or that is likely to happen. And so I can park myself in my place of fear and refuse to move. I can become so determined to do all that I can in my own power to keep danger at bay. 
See, Amy couldn't comprehend in her little mind that a two-month-old baby doesn't have the ability to get to the stairs in order to fall down, and her own understanding couldn't be trusted. Her motive was good and pure because she loved her baby brother and wanted only to keep him safe, but her response, her actions were unnecessary. And it wasn't until she chose, yeah, it wasn't until she chose to rely on my understanding versus her own that she was willing to return to what I wanted for her in the first place. And that was just to play free of care there next to me. Second Kings 4 is, it's fascinating. It tells of how a woman known only as the Shunammite woman had opened her home up to Elisha the prophet. She offered him a place to stay whenever he traveled through her town. She even went as far as to have a room built specifically for him. To me, her actions make her sound like a woman who is confident and willing to step out of her comfort zone. Um, But then it gets interesting. Elisha wants to do something for her as a way of showing his gratitude. And he and his servant notice that she doesn't have a son. So he tells her, this time next year, you will have a son. And the woman's response is so intriguing. And if you have ever experienced like a miscarriage or infertility, I think you're really going to relate to this. Because her response is she says, no, don't mislead me, O man of God. And the Bible doesn't tell us why. It doesn't give us the background story as to why she didn't want to have or didn't have children. But her response, don't mislead me, that tells me so much. It's saying, you know, don't mess with my emotions. Don't give me false hope. Don't make me suffer more pain. I don't know what the story is. We'll never know here on earth, uh, but that's another one I'm going to make sure I get to track her down in heaven and say, let's have coffee. I want to hear the story behind this. Why did you tell him, don't mislead me? But the Shunammite woman goes on to have a child. And several years later, he gets sick and he dies. The Shunammite woman springs into action and she, the Bible says that she saddled her donkey and raced off to find Elisha. So when she finds him, she says, did I ask you for a son? Didn't I tell you don't raise my hopes? If he had just listened when she first told him to not mislead her, she could have avoided all this pain. But now it was too late. She had held this child in her arms. She had raised him. She had cared for him and fed him and loved him so much that it hurt. And now he had been taken from her. And the very thing that she had feared was coming to pass. More pain, more loss, more grief. But the Bible says that Elisha traveled quickly to the boy's bedside and miraculously he raises him from the dead. And then life goes on. But then a couple chapters later, we read where Elisha warns the Shunammite woman's family of a coming famine and encourages them to leave the area. So they move away, to, it says, to the land of the Philistines, and they live there for seven years. When they returned home after the seven years, they no longer had possession of their house or land. And what I didn't tell you is when it starts out the story in uh, chapter 4, it talks about how she was a well-to-do woman. Um, 
So she comes home, their family comes back, and they don't have any of the things that they had before. So the Shunammite woman decides to go to the king and beg to have her house and land returned to her family. This is where the story gets really interesting. Unknown to her, Elisha's servant, the one who was with him when they noticed she didn't have a son, he's actually visiting the king on this very day. And the king says he wants to hear stories from Elisha's life. And so one of the stories that the servant tells him is how Elisha raised this woman's son from the dead. And right then, the Shunammite woman enters into the king, to the king's palace, and she's there to ask for her land, to get her land back. And the servant is like, whoa, <laughs> that's my version. This is the woman I was just telling you about. And the king is so impressed by the whole, uh, the whole story that he tells his officials to give her everything that had belonged to her and even back pay all the income from her land from the day she had left until now. It's incredible. Friends, our human understanding, it always limits God. It limits him. We take inventory from our past experiences and we look at our personal resources and in an effort to determine what the outcome will be, we limit God. Had the Shunammite woman had her way, way back at the beginning, when she had taken in the man of God and his servant, when they traveled through, she would have been basically a hotel, an innkeeper, an Airbnb of the day, you know? She could have had a nice little life, a mediocre life, really, with a mediocre outcome, no risk. But God, through Elisha, invited her into a wild and terrifying and soul-testing adventure that drove her to fight for her promise. It took her away from what was comfortable, but it gave her favor before both God and man. We say that God is all-knowing and all-wise, but we live like he isn't. We tell ourselves that we trust God, but we don't. We chase after knowledge and understanding, but we forget to first wrap it up in faith, in trust. God isn't asking you to do this alone. The Shunammite woman's life teaches us this very thing. She knew who to go to when her greatest fears were coming to fruition. When everything she had hoped for, that she was too afraid to hope for, the very thing she dreamed of and thought would never be, when she had that child placed in her arms, life in front of her became risky. And then when the very thing she feared the most happened, she knew where to go. She saddled her donkey and she ran for the man of God. We have the Holy Spirit within us today. We don't have to go find the man of God or a priest or a prophet. God has given us the Holy Spirit so that when we come to those places in life where our greatest fears are coming to pass, God will be there. We can can run to him and tell him, 
everything that we're thinking and feeling. And even if the story doesn't turn out the way that we want to, I promise that God is going to be with us. He's going to be with you. He's going to be with me. And someday we will be able to look back and we will see how he carried us through those difficult situations. We can live our lives crying on the floor, frozen by fear, or we can trust the perspective of our Father God and lean on his understanding for life situations. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. I mentioned my fear of heights earlier, and I have more stories I could tell than what I care to admit. But this particular one stands out above the rest. In 2015, Tim and I took our family on a trip out west. I was great as we were traveling through the prairie land, but when we reached the mountains out west, I became a nervous wreck. We were traveling in an RV, which felt top-heavy, and that only made it worse. About a week into mountain travel, I was done. I was emotionally exhausted from the constant fear along with barking at my poor husband who was constantly about constantly keeping his eyes on the road. We were in beautiful territory, so he kept pointing out the window to the kids and saying, look at God's beautiful creation. And I'm sitting there, keep your eyes on the road. <laughs> we were traveling north out of Yellowstone, and Tim, knowing my fears, told me that I could choose the route. Whatever direction you want to go, we can go that way. I looked at the map, and I only paid attention to the elevation until I noticed a name of one area, Sheep Eater Cliff. <laughs> no. No, 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 absolutely not. I would never take my children on a road called Sheep Eater Cliff. I mean, I could only imagine the sheer drop off along the side of the road. So I turned my eyes elsewhere and found another option. It was called Beartooth Pass. Yes, it said that the road is closed from, I think, October to May, but this was August, so we were going to be fine, right? And as we neared the intersection that would take us up Beartooth Pass, the rest of the traffic in front of us all turned off a different direction, leaving us to be the only ones to head up the pass. You know, there was a little niggling in my mind, but I thought, no big deal. I I checked the map. I saw where we were going. We would be fine. But what followed would be a small sample of hell on earth. (laughs) Our RV was three feet from being over the recommended length to travel this road, and it was filled with hairpin curves. For hours, we clung to the side of the mountain, unable to turn around, and all we could do was keep going forward. We had no other choice. I had to control my mind to keep from picturing us tumbling off the side of the mountain, and it was awful. When we finally reached the bottom, a native found out how we had arrived in her town, and she had an absolute fit. I had obviously chosen a very stupid route. I would later find out that Beartooth Pass is the fourth or fifth most dangerous road in the United States. And Sheep Eater Cliff, the best that I can tell as, re- as I research it, we would have driven along the bottom portion of Sheep Eater Cliff and be able to look up at its beauty rather than driving along the top as I had imagined. My fear clouded my understanding that day, and it led my family into danger. That's sobering. 
You know, it really is. And it's why we need to eliminate fear from our lives. We must stop nurturing those fearful thoughts and instead shut up and listen to the Lord. We have all the tools we need to live a victorious life. God offers us these tools. We can trust him and obey him. He gives us prayer that we can talk to him. It's available to us. It's up to you and I to be willing to learn how to apply them in our own lives. If you're battling fear and would like me to pray for you, please reach out. You can find me on Facebook or Instagram. My handles are in the show notes, or you can email me at lynettecarpenter at yahoo.com. I am going to pray for you in a little bit, and I'm going to pray for our kids too. But first, I want to invite you back next week as I have a super special guest who has said he is willing to be interviewed. It's my favorite person on the planet, and I can't wait for you to meet him. So hit that follow button so you don't miss it. God, I confess that I have so often leaned on my own understanding And I'm sure many that are listening would acknowledge that they too have done the same thing. And so, Father, I ask that you would forgive us for the times that we have looked to ourselves for what we need to get through life when you are all we need. And so we lift our eyes up to you, the author and finisher of our faith. And we say, help us, Lord. We come running to you and say, Lord, we need you each moment, each hour, each day. I thank you that you hold not only our lives in, our, in your hands, but you hold our children's lives in your hand. And so I speak faith over each person who is listening today. Father, I pray that you would fill them with courage to do the thing you're calling them to do. And Father, I pray that you would fill our children with your Holy Spirit, that you would encounter them even now, right where they're at with your love, with your presence, with your truth, God, that they could know that you are real and that you have a plan and a purpose for them. I pray, God, that you would help us to raise warriors who are ready to fight for you, Lord, and that you would continue to lead us into all truth and that we would rely on you and not our own perspective. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. Please take a moment to share this with a friend or on your social media accounts. In fact, tag me on Instagram and I'll be sure to reshare it on my stories. Also, don't forget to hit that follow button so you don't miss an episode. I hope that you were encouraged and inspired today. Always remember, your life has purpose, you have value, you are loved, and with Jesus, you can rise above your storm. Get out of the boat, friend. Let's walk on water.